I alluded to a story a few sermons back, and I'll kind of share it more with you because it illustrates kind of our theme this Christmas season. A few years ago, Trish and I had, well, I say a few years ago, probably about six or seven years ago, Trish and I had this brand new Ford Focus station wagon. And we were driving from Missouri up to Wisconsin for Christmas. And it was snowy out, much like the roads are now. And as we're driving up, uh, we got kind of bored because it's a nine-hour drive. And we're driving past Toma, Wisconsin on highway, what highway is that? 94? 94, I think. But we're driving on Highway 94 up towards Eau Claire through Toma. And Trisha whips out the laptop and starts playing Pac-Man because we had this tenacious, ongoing battle over who could get the high score for Pac-Man. And so I'm driving, Trisha's playing Pac-Man, and she's doing really good, really good. And I'm really scared and a little bit frustrated. And so I look over to see what her score is, and it takes me a while to find it. And then when I look back... Half my wheels are on the road, half my wheels are on the shoulder, which would normally be okay except for the fact that it was icy out. And so I fishtailed, uh, we went into the snow, we ran into some trees, our airbags deployed, the front end crumpled in, the, the glass spider web, that thing that it does, and that wasn't enough. And so our car spun and the back end hit more trees and all the glass shattered out and the car was completely totaled. All because I got distracted from the main thing that I was supposed to be doing, which was watching the road, right? Bad things happen when you get distracted. Even in Christmas, I don't know if you have found this to be true, but when I get distracted from the main thing, the main point of Christmas, the birth of Jesus, bad things happen. My heart turns frustrated, turns angry. And so our hope is that today and Christmas Eve and next Sunday, we would once again find Christ in Christmas because it brings so much more joy than all the other good things that God brings into our life. And so that's what we're going to be doing these next few services together. Today we're going to look at the Annunciation. The Annunciation is the announcement of baby Jesus to Mary. And we're going to look at Mary's journey from fear to faith through this Annunciation. And so if you would, please open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you have a red Bible, it's in page 855 of the red Bible. As you turn there, let me set the stage for you a little bit. In Luke chapter 1, the first four verses, we find out why Luke has written this letter. Luke wrote this letter to create an orderly account, to research the facts. Luke actually went out and did interviews to make certain of the stories that he was going to write down. He was a skeptical man because so many stories of Jesus were floating around. And to be honest, they were unbelievable. And so Luke went and made an orderly account so that we could be certain of what actually happened in the life of of Jesus. And then Luke goes into a story where the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, and this will be important for what we're reading today, but angel comes to Zechariah, a priest, and he tells him that his elderly wife, who has been barren, will have a child, that they should name him John, and that John will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then the angel Gabriel continues his work in today's passage. And so read along with me, Luke 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today, and once again we see your grace, the story of Christmas coming true, God, pray that we would be refreshed by this. A story that might be very familiar to many of us. May we see new eyes. May we see your grace and your glory and your love in a whole new way this morning, God. Help us as we look into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this story of the Annunciation of God coming and through, through the angel Gabriel and pronouncing the birth of Jesus, Mary's initial reaction is fear. If you look in verse 30, the angel actually says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid. And so the question is, what is Mary afraid of? I don't know about you, but if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard that angels are these awesome, amazing, terrifying, beautiful creatures, and that if anybody even caught a glimpse of an angel, they would shudder in fear. Has anyone ever heard that? Just me? Okay, a few people. Good. And while that may be true, that's not why Mary is afraid right here. If you look with me in verse 28, It says, and he, the angel Gabriel, came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. By what? Was it by his awesome wingspan? Was it by his glow? She was troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. And so Mary's fear was not primarily the messenger. It wasn't the angel. Her fear was the potential message. What did this angel want with me? What does God want with me? You know, it's funny. In uh, One of the perils of my job is sometimes people are afraid to meet with you, to grab lunch with you. There's a guy at the last church I was at who I said, hey, let's grab lunch this week. And so we got together at uh, Pizza Hut Buffet. It was delicious. And we, um, we, we got the buffet. We sat down. We had our small talk. And once the small talk was done, he looked at me and said, 
okay, so what did I do wrong? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, you wanted to meet with me. I'm just assuming I did something wrong. I'm like, no, I just wanted to encourage you. I wanted to get to know you. And so now when I send out emails to people, and you may have gotten this, I'll say, hey, let's get together. You know, no agenda, just want to connect, right? To, because people are sometimes afraid. I mean, it makes sense. If there's an authority figure in your life, like a boss or your husband or your wife or your parents that say, hey, we need to talk, Right? The immediate reaction, at least for me, is fear. Why do they want to talk with me? Because they're an authority figure in my life and they have a lot of power over my future. And so are they for me or against me? It's the questions that constantly start going through my head. And so even though Mary was told that she was favored one and that the Lord was with her, she was still troubled and afraid. And she was wondering, what does God, the ultimate authority, in my life, want with me? Is he for me or is he against me? And the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. You know, this is a legitimate question, which I hope every single one of you have asked. Is God for me or against me? Because the answer to that will control your life. It will control your life. And we'll see in the case of Mary that God was most definitely for her. And we see that first in her calling. And so let's look at her calling. Um, You know, we don't know much about Mary, but we do know that she came from very humble means, right? We know that she was a woman who came from Nazareth. Uh, If you don't know, Nazareth was not a city that was highly thought of. Even uh, Nathaniel, the disciple, said, can anything good come from Nazareth, And so the question that anything profitable for God could come from Nazareth was a natural reaction. Um, also, Mary was a carpenter's fiance, and so just a blue-collared man, right? Not a prince, not a lawyer, a carpenter. She was engaged to him. She was a teenager, and she was a girl. And so not much was expected of her because of her age, because of her gender. And yet God chose Mary, not Elizabeth. the the wife of a priest, but he chose Mary, the betrothed of a carpenter, to do this amazing work, to place this amazing calling on her life. The angel explains this calling to bring forth the Son of God. It says in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And then he goes on to describe who this son is. First he says that he will be Savior, 31 continues, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus literally means deliverer or savior, or maybe even Jehovah is salvation. And so the angel says, call your son savior. I mean, you can imagine how weird this would be, right? Hey, savior, clean up your room, right? Hey, savior, throw me the ball, right? Name your son savior. We also see that this son to be born to her was not only savior, but he was going to be the Son of God. Verse 32. He will be great and we be called the Son of the Most High. Most High was a term frequently used throughout the Old Testament, which was Mary's Bible, right? The Old Testament was Mary's Bible. Most High meant God, Yahweh, the Lord, Elohim. And so uh, in verse 35, it's confirmed when the angel says, the child to be born will be called the Holy 
holy, the son of God. And so we learn of this baby, this high calling that God has given to Mary to birth and to raise his child, that he will be the savior, that he will be the son of God. But then finally, we see that he will be the king. Verse 32, and the Lord God will give to him the throne, right? That's a king gets a throne of his father, David, and he will reign like a king over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so Jesus is getting a throne. He's getting a kingdom. And it coming, it's coming from his father, David. He will be a Davidic king. Now, for you and me, the promise that Jesus is going to be a Davidic king probably is not very exciting. But for Mary and for Joseph, for all of Israel, the fact that the Davidic king was coming meant everything to them. Their hope, their faith was based on this promised Davidic king that would deliver them. In 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 14, should be up here on the screen, it says this. This is God promising to David. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You can see the same words being used here. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so the time period between this promise to David, this promise to Israel, and the time that Jesus is actually born is almost a thousand years. I mean, think of a thousand years. What has happened in the course of the last thousand years? I mean, a thousand years ago, the U.S. wasn't even close to being around, right? And so over the course of a thousand years, Israel was being persecuted, was being exiled, went through famine and danger and silence. And they longed and they waited generation after generation after generation, waiting for the Davidic king to come to save them, to deliver them. And then God comes to this teenage girl from Podunk, Nazareth, and says, I'm going to give the world the son of David through you. What an amazing, high calling God has put on Mary's life. If you're here and you're a child of God, if you're here and you trust in Jesus Christ, God has a great and amazing calling on your life. Not just some of you, all of you. And it's to bring forth the kingdom of the Savior, to bring forth Jesus' love and grace and mercy into a hurting and dying and broken world. It is a great and awesome calling that is on your life to bring Christ's kingdom into your heart, into your life. You know, here at Jacob's Well, our um, mission statement says, life in Christ, Christ in life, that we would bring, bring Jesus Christ into our life, that we would find life in him, that we would be born again, that our soul would come alive as we are united to Christ, trusting in Christ, but that we would bring Christ into all of life. And so we would bring the kingship, the dominion of Jesus over every area of our life, that we would bring his kingship over our marriage, over our recreation, over our work, over everything. 
but that we would also bring Christ into all of our relationships. And we would tell people the good news of the king that was born for us. Just to give you real practical examples, there is a woman in this church, I won't name her because she'd be embarrassed, but I constantly get emails from her about people whose lives that she has gone into, lives that are messy. And she says, if you would please pray for this person because they're suicidal, because they're depressed, because they're having issues with their family. See, she, she steps into the messiness of people's lives to bring forth the kingdom of God. And it may not seem great to the world, but in the eyes of God, this is the work of redemption that he has called us to. And there is no higher calling that we can fulfill than this. Contrastly, I know other people who love Jesus, who listen to sermons, who read books, but are so afraid to step out in faith, to love the person next door. And yet that is the great and high calling that God has given to us. It has been said that fear is always a major enemy to progress. You know, Mary started with fear. Even when the calling is being pronounced, you're wondering what's going on in her head, what's going on in our heart. And many times we don't step out and we don't take hold of the amazing works that God has for us because fear absolutely paralyzes us, doesn't it? I mean, we're afraid to reach out to our friends, to our family, to our stranger, to strangers, because we're afraid that we're not well enough equipped. We're afraid that they would reject us. We're afraid of intimacy. We're afraid that we'll be made uncomfortable. We'll be afraid that they'd be demanding on us. And fear drives us away from fulfilling the purposes God has for us. The great and awesome callings of spreading his kingdom. And today, you may even know of something great that God has called you to do. Whether it be to reach out to your neighbor to love someone that is unlovely, but fear is paralyzing you. And so the question is, how do we go from fear to faith and step out? And we're going to see this here through the story of Mary. So let's look at first Mary's faith. When Gabriel tells Zechariah earlier that he's going to have a baby, that his wife is going to have a baby who is old and who is barren, he starts with a question, and so does Mary. That's how they respond. They ask the angel a question. Zechariah first says this in verse 18 of Luke 1. He says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. All right, so that's his question. Mary asks this question. How will this be since I am a virgin? And what's very interesting is that with Zechariah's question, the angel condemns him and silences him until John is ready to be named. And so for months, John can't speak, literally, because the angel was not pleased with his question. But with Mary's question, the angel was very pleased and very happy to respond. And so for us, what's the difference between those two questions? And the difference between the two questions is faith. You see, with Zechariah, Zechariah is saying, I cannot believe it's true. How will I know for certain? God, prove it to me. Mary believed. Mary believed what the angel said. And she said, how is that going to happen? She didn't say, is it going to happen? She said, how is it going to happen? You know, this is something that's really important for us to see because 
what we see even in this pattern is that when God makes promises throughout Scripture, like when he says he will work all things for the good of those who love him, our response should not be, prove it to me. Should not be, I do not believe you. But it is good to say, God, how are you going to work this out for good? Because right now, I don't see it. And so he was pleased at Mary's faith. Pleased knowing that the angel had said this and that she believed. And she was wondering, how is this going to happen? The angel says this impossible thing will happen. And Mary responds by faith. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so the angel tells her that although she is a virgin, she will give birth because the the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. He's saying that the God of the universe will be the daddy. And she believes and then she gives this amazing response of faith. A response that I would hope would be all of our responses. Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Be to me according to your word. That's faith. Trusting God, walking, and the great things that he has called us to do. You know, as most engaged women, I'm sure Mary had a plan for her life, right? Play along with me here. Mary probably assumed, okay, we're going to have Joseph, the love of my life, and I. we're going to get married. We're going to have a house with a picket fence. We'll have a dog. We'll have two and a half kids, right? And uh, every night, he'll, Joseph will come home from working. I'll have supper for him. We, as a family, it will be joyous. It will be wonderful. But the angel comes to her and says, this baby Jesus is totally going to mess up your life. This baby Jesus is totally going to mess up your plans. You see, fear would have been a natural reaction for Mary because as she is hearing this from the angel, I'm sure the thoughts are going through her head. Will my love of my life, Joseph, will he leave me? Will he divorce me? Which he almost did. Will the townspeople, will my friends shun me because I'm an unwagged pregnant woman? But Mary doesn't respond with fear. Mary responds saying, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, I pray that this Christmas, for you and for me, that we would get a fresh glimpse of this baby Jesus. And it would totally mess up our lives. It would totally mess up your life. All the plans, all the agendas, everything you want to do with your life, that you would once again, surrender it to God and say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. That we would say, Lord, we will sacrifice whatever it is. We will sacrifice our calendars. We will sacrifice our finances. We will sacrifice our energies. We will sacrifice whatever it is for the great and awesome things you are calling me to do in this life. And so I pray that baby Jesus would radically mess up your life. And so as we look at Mary, as she goes from fear to faith, this is an amazing thing, right? It's not a half-hearted devotion. It is a full surrender to God. She is surrendering her plans, her future, even her body for God's purposes. And the question is, what would cause a woman or any woman or any man to make such a radical change in their life in which they would surrender everything for the purposes of God? And we see very clearly 
that is God's favor. Notice how this proceeds, how this comes before Mary's act of faith, before Mary's calling in her life. And verse 28 says this. Look along with me, if you would. Verse 28. And the angel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And then in verse 30, again, the angel affirms this. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The word favored literally means grace. You have found grace with God. And one of the very cool things about these two verses is that in verse 30, the word grace, the word favored is a noun saying that you have grace from God. It has been given to you. But in verse 28, it's a verb. And this is really cool. I have a new favorite phrase in the Bible, and it's right here. This word favored, this verb in verse 28, literally means that God has pursued you with grace. God has pursued you with grace, with pursuing grace. There's a uh, movie that's out called, well, it's quite a few years old, but it's a powerful movie called Taken. Many of you have probably seen it. In this movie, there's a daughter who wants to go to Europe, and she asks her dad if she can go, and he says, no, absolutely not. And she says, well, I'll be with my friend's parents the whole time. It will be fine. It will be great. And so begrudgingly, he finally gives her permission to leave. She goes over to Europe, and he then finds out that she wasn't with the parents. She was just with another teenage friend, and they were following a band around Europe. And while they're there, um, she actually gets kidnapped and gets enslaved And all of it because of her rebellion, because she was lying to her dad and she went off without parental supervision. And as she is kidnapped, the father doesn't sit back and say, tough luck, you're getting what you deserve. But the father pursues her with grace, saying, I love you and nothing will stop me from pursuing you. There's actually a great line from the movie in the very beginning. And I can't do the guy's voice, but the way it goes, he says, um, he's talking to the guy who kidnapped his daughter. And he says this, I don't know who you are. He's talking on the phone. I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can't, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. This guy's awesome. He says, if you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you do, don't. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. And the guy's response is, good luck. And then he hangs up. And the father goes on to pursue his daughter to no end. Even at the own cost of his own life, he's willing to lay it down to grab her out of bondage and out of slavery and to bring her back to himself. The Bible says that we have all rebelled against God, that we have all turned away in our own sin. We have said, God, thanks, but no thanks. And yet God pursues us with grace. He has his pursuing grace to love us and care us care for us, and woo us back to himself. But it doesn't come at the cost of bad guys. It comes at the cost of the perfect man, Jesus. 
And so you see, as we come together today and as we celebrate Christmas, what we were actually celebrating is pursuing grace. That God pursued you to earth to save you, to win you over. And he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, that you might come back to him. I love here in this verse, in verse 28, when it says, O favored one, and here's the result of being favored. The Lord is with you. God has sent his son, Jesus, to come and live the perfect life, to take our rebellion, to take our sin upon himself, to die on the cross that we could once again be with God. That we could once again have a relationship with God. And so Christmas, we celebrate God's pursuing grace. You know, Mary started with fear. She was afraid of God's calling. She was probably also afraid of God's judgment. But her fear moved to faith when she realized that God was for her that God favored her, and that God was pursuing her by grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you that you have not left us to our own devices, nor have you left us to the destruction of our own sin, but you have pursued us with grace. Lord, I, I know that for myself and for many here, you have put callings on our heart to extend your kingdom, to extend your grace and your love, but fear often paralyzes us because we are so afraid of what others would think. We're so afraid of being uncomfortable. And God, we pray that through your pursuing grace, we would know the love of Christ, that your love would drive out all fear in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.